Welcome to the Commission Podcast. Yeah, Tom. Hey, man. Okay. We're finally, sorry about the delay, posting the final seminar talks from Revive 2019. And today, we're hearing from Tom Heesman, pastor at Dundonald Church. Richard's office. Is this Richard's office? And since he works in the same office as we do, we thought we'd catch up with him about a few things Revive related. Firstly, why we thought to talk about evangelism reboot was needed at this year's festival. It's not that we've stopped believing that evangelism is important. I think uh, all of our churches across our network would would all say yes and amen to the fact that we're called to go and tell people the gospel. Um, but I think we find it hard, and we've always found it hard. Just culturally, the, it's, we've, we've shifted over the last 50 years or so from just a general kind of acceptance of the Christian worldview in the culture around us, such that we could quite easily talk about the gospel and about the, the God, the Creator, and Jesus Christ as a real historical person, um, without getting too much pushback. Whereas now we're in a day and age where a Christian worldview is so alien to how people perceive the world. Even beginning to have a conversation about it, you just run up against brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. Um, and so I think that that makes it feel scary. I think potentially uh, because we feel like we're just going to run up against people who want to push us away. So I think there's a fear thing there. And also perhaps a, a not quite knowing what to say because it's not quite as easy as doing two ways to live on a napkin because it feels like there's, we've kind of got to do a bit more groundwork before that to get somebody to even want to listen to two ways to live on a napkin. Um, so how do we do that? Uh, so I think there are reasons why we're always going to have to have an evangelism reboot, you know, every, every year really, because um, we know it's important, but I think we all, myself included, just need help in think about how we do that given our culture and context in, in, in the season we're in. It, I mean, you're, you're a pastor at Dundonald, you're a professional Christian. Do, so, um, do you, so does that, like, have you, do you find it harder now just because culture's changing or do you find it easier now that you feel more equipped as a, as a pastor, as, as someone who kind of, who people know, okay, he's a minister, he's going to be talking about, about God, about Jesus? Well, I guess, I mean, I've got an unfair advantage in terms of if anybody asks me what I do, if my, my barber cut my hair asks me what I do, which is just the token, this is the kind of throwaway line everybody asks at the start of a small talk conversation. I can't get around the fact that I work for a church or that I'm a pastor. So straight away, I've got an, a, a kind of in that most other people wouldn't have. So in that sense, I've got an advantage. But I, I find it as terrifying as the next person to have a deliberate conversation with my neighbor or with my, um, uh, the guy I'm going into the shops and seeing the show, you know, I, I find that hard just as much as the next person. Um, so I don't think me being in full-time ministry has made that any easier necessarily. We want to collectively think as a church family and as a network, how can we help one another in seeking to engage with lost people across London? And we'll all have different ways of doing that. There's, uh, there's no kind of silver bullet. We need to use this resource or this book. Um, but actually, how can we kind of collectively help each other to engage with the different communities we're in? Tom is behind a number of First Step evangelistic resources. Your church might be using one of them, A Better Hero, A Better Life. And this marks a change in the way Dundonald Church have viewed how they do evangelism. Um, I think historically, Dundonald, as a church, we've, we've been kind of fairly good at a kind of um, a programmed, well-resourced, uh, kind of staff-led, evangelistic, event-based 
ministries. I think what we've tried to do is just try to redress that a little bit and trying to equip everybody to be involved in going and telling the gospel to their to their friends and their colleagues and their neighbours. The power absolutely is in the living word of God and we want to see those we know and love come into contact with Jesus in the pages of scripture. So that's where we want to get people. Uh, but that can feel really intimidating and scary to think, I'm going to read the Bible with somebody who doesn't yet believe the gospel. And that can feel a hard thing to do. And so we've just been trying to think, how can we equip everybody to be, to be able to do that, to be able to start a conversation, that's the phrase we want to keep using, to start a conversation with somebody about, about Jesus. There are loads of other resources out there which have been really useful for lots of people like Word One to One and Uncover and um, things like that. We just thought, how can we, uh, what can we produce which kind of lowers the bar even more um, just to get conversations going. So these little booklets, Better Hero, Better Life, one going through Mark, one going through John, um, are just designed with a kind of it's a tiny little passage from that gospel narrative and then three short questions and the whole point of it is that it provokes a conversation so uh, you could get this out with your mate at the pub or um, or at work over a coffee or whatever and just start a conversation but some people that conversation might be five minutes long and that's it um, but for others it might go on to a 30-minute conversation or, uh, or or a longer bible study and that's great but the whole point is that lots of conversations will be happening and so actually what we found here at Dundonald is that people have been kind of felt equipped, I think, to have more conversations with people about Jesus and get the Bible open with people uh, and, and show their neighbours and their colleagues the person of Jesus in the pages of the Bible, which has, has got to be our aim and our goal because that's where life is to be found. So um, we've been excited by that. You can find out more about these resources and more at somethingbetter.org.uk, a website put together by Dundonald to equip church members in evangelism. But we're going to get into it now. Here's Tom's seminar from Revive, Evangelism Reboot. It's great to see you. My name's Tom Heesman. I'm one of the pastors at Dundonald Church. And one of my, one of my roles, particularly at Dundonald, is um, to have a particular focus on evangelism. So uh, lots of my week is spent thinking about evangelism. That being said, I am by no means uh, a kind of natural evangelist. So I, I wouldn't say that of myself. Um, perhaps that's you here. Um, but I wouldn't say that about myself. But we need God's help to evangelize because there are thousands, millions of people in our city who do not yet know Christ as Lord and Savior, and we want to take the gospel to them. That's what we're about as a, as a movement, as commission, seeking to reach the lost with the good news of the gospel. So uh, we're going to kind of navigate the south just for the next um, hour or so through this idea of how do, we, how do we speak to people about the gospel when people seem so far back from even being bothered about it? So how do we even get a conversation going about Jesus at work, um, at the school gate, wherever it is, about Jesus when they seem disinterested? Because that's our kind of our track for this afternoon. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that the gospel is true, that Jesus Christ really is Lord. He came, he died for sin, he rose to rule, he's coming back to judge, and because it's true, we've got to tell people about it. And so, Father, we pray, please, that just in the next uh, hour or so as we spend this time together, please would it be, be useful for each one of us as we think about seeking to engage the lost with the good news of the gospel. We pray that as a result of this little seminar in this little field in Canterbury, it might resound to the praise of your glory as lots more people across our great city of London hear something of the gospel and respond to it in repentance and faith. That's our desire and we pray that it all be for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
Great. You should have a, a handout um, as you came in. Uh, if you don't look over someone's shoulders or go and grab one from the back. Um, we're going to start in, in the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, flick to 2 Corinthians 4, or you should see it on your sheet. Actually, it's on the printout. Um, let's start here as we think about this idea of evangelism, how to get conversations going when no one's asking the question. So 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6, let me read it out. Paul writes this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God's. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God's. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So just to start, as we start thinking about this this afternoon, what does God's word have to say to us as we start thinking about evangelism? Three really simple things. Firstly, we seek to set forth the truth plainly. Okay, see that in verse two? We seek to set forth the truth plainly as we engage people in evangelism. That's what we're called to do. Okay? We're not, as we go and try and reach our friends or our colleagues with the gospel, we're not trying to win them or wow them with our words, with our clever kind of ways of putting things. No, no, we're setting forth the truth plainly. We're holding out the message of the Bible, the gospel. That's what, ultimately what we want people to see. We want people to see the words of the living gods. Okay? But then we might, be, we might wonder, well, hang on, why aren't people responding to the gospel? We feel that, don't we? The gospel is such good news. That's what we're being reminded of this weekend in these brilliant talks on the cross. The gospel is such good news. Why are people not responding to this? Paul writes that the, the gospel is veiled to unbelievers. See that in verse 3? The gospel is veiled to unbelievers. They can't see it. More than that, verse 4, they've been blinded by the devil. They physically cannot see the light of the gospel which we hold out. Okay, so, so we're holding out this good news. We're holding out the gospel and people aren't responding. Why? Because the devil's blinded them. The gospel is veiled to them. And so, okay, hold on, where's the hope? As we, as we try and tell people about Jesus, where's the hope in our evangelism? Because we're holding out the truth, but people are blind. So is there, is there any point in having evangelism training sessions like this if everybody's blind and, and they can't open their eyes, what's the point of it all? Well, verse 5 and 6 are our hope, aren't they? Verse 5, we, we keep preaching the gospel because, verse 6, God who spoke light into being at the beginning of creation. Remember Genesis 1, God says, let there be light, and there was light instantly. That same God who spoke light into being, he can speak light into dark, blind hearts, and he can cause people to see. Okay, so he is our confidence and hope in evangelism. The only reason that we can have any sort of, any shred of confidence in evangelism is because it doesn't depend on us, but it is a spiritual work of God in opening blind people's eyes. Just as God has done for each one of us, if we're in this room and we're a Christian, God's done that for you. He has opened your blind eyes so that you might see and understand the truth. And that's what we pray for other people, that God might open their blind eyes to see and understand. And, and then all we're tasked with doing is just cracking on and telling people the gospel. Verse 5, we, we just keep preaching Jesus. So we, we set forth the truth plainly, 
Don't be surprised when people don't respond, but rather we trust that God can open blind eyes. Okay, so that's, our, that's where we've got to start as we think about evangelism. I find this a really helpful passage just to keep coming back to. Whenever we're talking about evangelism in Dundonald or, or further afield, keep remembering this. We hold out the word of God. Don't be surprised when people don't respond, but remember God can open blind eyes. I think personally, one of the things that I find hardest about evangelism uh, in London, but I guess probably further afield as well, is that actually people just don't really seem that interested. Um, people are not asking questions about Christian things. There is, there is a, just a general kind of unawareness or lack of interest about um, Christianity, about my faith. Uh, you know, they're, they're not interested in, in coming along and exploring more in a course. You know, there's a reason why when we try and do a CE course, we, kind of, we get a handful of people and, and we're not having people kind of run through the doors because they're desperate to find out what is said about Jesus in Mark's gospel. You know, we haven't got that. Um, we struggle to get people to come through the door for an event or to, to hear a short talk. Christianity is so far off people's radars that it doesn't even come up in conversation. And even when I drop in that I go to church or that I'm a Christian or that even that I'm a pastor, you know, I think surely they're going to respond to that. Um, it just kind of gets glossed over and people move on to the next thing, like I'm part of the local tennis club. You know, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't, people don't bite at that. Um, and so actually getting into a conversation about spiritual things can feel really difficult. And if you find that, then you're not alone and you're like me and we want to work hard at how to engage people with the gospel. I'm going to mention a few books over the course of this afternoon. Um, first one, this one, this one's great. This is by a guy called Jamie Smith. Um, it's called How Not to Be Secular. It's a breakdown of a, a guy called Charles Taylor's kind of massive seminal work called A, a Secular Age. Uh, you need a double espresso to read it, um, but um, it's good. It's a good one to get your teeth into. Anyway, if you don't read it, and if all you read is this quote, um, it's on your sheet, so you don't have to read the tiny font. Uh, he says this. Have a listen to this. Your secular neighbors aren't looking for answers, for some bit of information that is missing from their mental maps. To the contrary, they have completely different maps. You've realized that instead of nagging questions about God or the afterlife, your neighbors are oriented by all sorts of longings and projects and quests for significance. There doesn't seem to be anything missing from their lives, so you, you can't just come proclaiming the good news of a Jesus who fills their God-shaped hole. They don't have a sense that the secular lives they've constructed are missing a second floor. In many ways, they have constructed webs of meaning that provide almost all the significance they need in their lives, though a lot hinges on that almost. I find that quote does does capture something of uh, the guys that I know, where, where they're at, and, and why they're not engaging with Christian things. And, and so the big thing that we're going to look at this afternoon, just for the rest of our time, how do we engage people with the gospel in our secular age, when actually nobody seems that bothered in asking any questions about it? How, how, do, how do we engage people with that, when people just seem a bit unfazed about it all? Well, actually, what I'd, what I'd love us to think about, and this is so, super simple, I'd, I'd love us just to think about getting on the front foot. Um, I think part of the reason that we often find things difficult in evangelism is that we're always kind of waiting for an opportunity to have a conversation about church or Jesus or salvation. We're waiting for the other person to bring that up, and then we pounce. You know, I'm just waiting for the moment where they kind of mention church or, or um, do I really need Jesus to be saved? And we're like, yes, this is my moment, and then go. Um, and we're waiting for that moment, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and then it either never comes or it does come, and then we miss the boat, and then we're kicking ourselves thinking, well, that's not going to happen for another six months. So actually, how, how do we... 
How do we have a conversation with somebody um, which, which helps them in our secular age where they're not asking those questions? Well, I think, what about if we get on the offensive? What does that look like? Um, here's another book I've read recently. Uh, it's called Tactics by Greg Kukul. Maybe some of you have read it. This is um, easy to read. It's really, really helpful. And in it, he talks about having a modest goal in our evangelism. Having a modest goal. That sounds good, doesn't it? A modest goal in our evangelism. So, for instance, what do I mean by that? When trying to engage a work colleague or a neighbor with the gospel, whilst, of course, our ultimate aim is to see them one to Christ, let's pray that that might be so, in the particular conversation that we're in, when you're in a queue for coffee or when you're waiting for the train or whatever, maybe we need to have a more modest goal, taking smaller steps in helping that person in their journey of understanding who Jesus is. Um, If you're anything like me, you get stuck in between a kind of banal small talk of how's your week been and drawing two ways to live kind of on a big flip chart you know and like what what comes in between that how do I get from how do I get from the small talk to the um here's the gospel in six easy steps you know what's the in between in that uh Kukul's got this great little phrase he talks about putting a stone in people's shoes let me read this he writes this it's on a sheet um he says I encourage you to consider the strategy I use when God opens a door of opportunity for me I pray quickly for wisdom, and then I ask myself this. What one thing can I say in this circumstance? What one question can I ask? What seed can I plant that will get the other person thinking? And then I simply try to put a stone in the other person's shoe. I want to give him something worth thinking about, something he can't ignore because it continues to poke at him in a good way. I think that's brilliant. Okay, you know when you get a stone in your shoe, it's really irritating, isn't it? You're just kind of hobbling around because you've got this kind of little stone in your shoe that's niggling away. See what Kukul's saying? If you only go away with one thing this afternoon, go away with this. In, the, in those fleeting conversations that we have with people at work, at the school gate, wherever it is, what one thing can we say? What one question can we ask that's just going to get them thinking, that will act like a little stone in their shoe that's going to niggle away until we can carry on the conversation and develop it the next time we see each other. Okay, so when we see our non-Christian friends, we're not giving a full gospel presentation every time. We're not necessarily even taking people to the cross in every encounter, though of course that's our aim. But let's have a more modest goal of just trying to put stones in shoes and giving them something to think about. Now, um, what does putting a stone in somebody's shoe look like? I don't think it's that complicated. I think the key is asking questions. It's just being really, really good at asking people questions. Now, I'd imagine that loads of you are employing this tactic already, um, because in many ways, it's just kind of normal relational skill, asking people questions. A conversation never develops if you don't ask somebody a question. Um, But I'm just suggesting that we be a bit more intentional about it. Because here's here's another quote. This is a guy called Randy Newman. Um, This is in his excellent book, Questioning Evangelism. He says, a good strategy is to have conversations that lead to conversations rather than presentations that lead to preconceptions. See what he's saying? Before we get to the point of opening the Bible with someone, often we just need to get a conversation going to get them to the point where that gospel presentation is ready to be heard. And questions stimulate conversations which lay the groundwork for the gospel to be presented. Um, Someone who modeled this brilliantly was the Lord Jesus. Okay, so listen to this from Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. 
Only God is truly good. I love that passage. Okay, this is Jesus' moment. You know, this is the moment to get down on your knees and draw two ears to live in the sand. He's run up to him and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with a question. And actually, as you go on and, and read on in the passage, you see that actually it draws out a whole lot more of what's underneath the surface of this guy's question. And Jesus opens him up to a far more penetrating conversation, which doesn't just kind of let this bloke off the hook, and it exposes a lot more of where he's at. Asking questions is a really powerful tool in our evangelism. And um, actually, engaging non-Christians with questions often has significant advantages over kind of just hitting them with direct answers. Three big advantages, I think. Um, They're on your sheet. Firstly, questions expose people's assumptions. Questions expose people's assumptions. Now, I guess this is obvious, um, but as we ask people questions, it helps to... Um, reveal their assumptions about uh, religion or about Christianity or about who Jesus is, and so it provides a better route in to a more intentional conversation. Okay, questions enable us to do that. So, for instance, take my neighbour. All right, she came to the to the carol service back at Christmas. We invited her along, and um, we had her around for coffee the following week to see how she found it. And needless to say, she didn't enjoy it. In fact, she said it was the worst sermon she'd ever heard in her life. And um, I won't tell you who was preaching. Uh, <laughs> And um, now she said that she was sitting at our kitchen table, and I was tempted to just re-explain the sermon to her. Say, "Oh no, you must have misunderstood." Like, let me just let me just rehash that sermon and give it to you now. But actually, what Josie and I tried to do, my wife and I tried to do, is just ask a question. So we just kind of just sat there for half an hour and just said, "Okay, what do you mean by that? T- tell us a bit more about that." And um, like, can you explain that to me? Just just kind of give us like, tell us what you mean by that. Um, and that's all we did for half an hour. And. You know, we didn't, we didn't kind of re-give her the gospel in that moment, in that particular moment. But what we did by asking questions was actually get underneath the surface of a whole load more of where she's at and where she's coming from and, and, and her assumptions about Christian things that we never would have got if we'd just rehashed the sermon. And questions just helped to expose her assumptions about Christian things. And that's really helped us to chat more deliberately about, uh, to her rather, um, the next time we've seen her. And it's helped us to pray more and for her because we know a bit more where she's coming from. So questions help expose people's assumptions. Secondly, questions stimulate further conversation. This is really obvious. Questions help the conversation to keep going. Yeah, we, we, we know that just from regular conversation. Let me give you an example. Let me tell you about my barber. Um, my barber likes to chat a lot about himself, which is actually gold for this sort of thing, because um, he's just chatting about himself all the time. So every time I go and get my hair cut, I've, I've now, since kind of thinking about these things, I've been trying to think, okay, what stone can I put in his shoe? This time. Okay, as I go and get my hair cut every four weeks or so, what stone can I put in his shoe? And I'm just asking him questions every time. But they're, they're questions that just over time, they just start to probe a bit deeper. So in the first couple of haircuts, I found out that, um, and I'm pretty sure he won't ever listen to this, um, so we'll keep going. I found out that he wanted to be um, a famous YouTube star, and his kind of life ambition was to be on Love Island. That's a whole other seminar. Um, and, um, and I've just been asking him questions on that. And... Eventually, we, over time, we've managed to get some deeper questions. And so we got to the haircut where I could ask him, actually, you know, do you think that will satisfy you? Um, what happens if that fails? Or, you know, I've asked him, why is that your goal in life? Uh, now, I've got to be careful as I ask this because he's holding a razor blade to my neck, so I don't want to be too probing. Um, uh, I'm going on the front foot, but I'm trying to be sensitive about it. And each time, I've only got 25 minutes, but I'm just trying to put a stone in his shoe and I'm back every four weeks, and after a bit of preamble, we pick it up again. 
And it's been going on long enough that I've, just, I've now started to be able to talk to him about Jesus and his promises. And the next step, my prayer is that he'll come along to church, I've invited him, and um, that we might be able to just read a bit of the Bible together. Now, if I'd gone in with that six months ago, 12 months ago, and said, do you want to read the Bible with me? Um, he might have said yes, um, but he didn't really know me. There wasn't really a relationship there. And uh, he didn't really have any, you know, the Christian worldview is so far removed from where he's at. Um, he, he likely would have said no. Now, I don't want to assume that, but he likely would have said no. But actually, over time, just asking him questions and begin to get under the skin of where he's at, I've been able to, I guess, work out a bit more where he's coming from and a bit more about his worldview. And that helps me to think about how the gospel can apply to that. Um, and have a more intentional conversation with him. So questions can be really helpful for just um, stimulating further conversation and deeper conversation. Here's Greg Kukul again on this. He says, sometimes the little things have the greatest impact. Using simple leading questions is an almost effortless way to introduce spiritual topics to a conversation without seeming abrupt, rude, or pushy. Questions are engaging and interactive, probing yet amicable. Most importantly, they keep you in the driver's seat while someone else does all the work. Which leads us seamlessly into the last advantage. So thirdly, questions keeps the pressure off you and puts the pressure on the unbeliever. As we ask people questions, you're going on the front foot and you're making your non-Christian friend or colleague explain their worldview to you. And that is liberating. Um, I think we often think that evangelism and apologetics is about being ready to kind of um, be on the defensive and just kind of defend our position on things. So um, morality and ethics and science and history, and we kind of think we've just kind of got to stand here and defend the barricades and wait for the questions to come, and then we'll put up a good defense to those questions. But actually, asking questions turns the tables on that. And what we're doing is we're, we're making them explain more of why they think the way they think or why they feel the way they feel. Because remember... Our Christian worldview, our way of kind of viewing and understanding the world is the only way that truly makes sense of reality. Okay, remember that as we, as we go into evangelism. And so no matter how weak or how timid you might feel in any given conversation, you are actually the one in the position of strength because your way of viewing the world is the, is the only true way that makes sense of reality and it's the non-Christian who really needs to defend their position to you. Okay, so that's why we ask questions because we want other people to give an answer for their beliefs, for why they live the way they do. And often you'll find, as you probe a bit deeper and ask a few more questions, is actually people haven't really given much thought for why they think the way they think, or why they feel the way they feel, or why they, what they do what they do. And so asking questions, it keeps the pressure off you, and it puts the pressure on your non-Christian friends, uh, and, it, and it just helps to, to get below the surface. Now, there's a whole other seminar we could do on... Um, on getting under the skin of somebody's worldview. That's another time. For now, though, ask questions. Conveniently, that makes the acronym ASK. Presumably, you've already all got that. Um, that's very pleasing for me. Uh, it exposes their assumptions. It stimulates conversation. It keeps pressure on them. Now, in a minute, we're going to get practical, and I'd love to, we're going to have a good time to be practical with this. Um, firstly, just what, what are some questions you can ask? I mean, this is really just kind of ABC and how to have a conversation. Um, but I find it helpful to remember these kind of questions and phrases in my tool belt. And remember, these questions are designed to get the other person to explain why they think what they think, why they live how they live, what they, why they daydream about what they daydream about. Um, so good questions are ones like, uh, you know, um, okay, why? Why do, you, why do you think like that? Oh, what do, you, what do you love about that thing? 
Can you explain that to me? Isn't it possible that, how do you, how do you know that? Dot, dot, dot. Um, so just asking good questions like that. And these sorts of questions can be really good at getting under the surface. And then ultimately, of course, you want to get people to the point so that you can say to them in a conversation, and that is why I'm a Christian. And I would love to explain a bit more about that to you. Or, you know what, that is what I love about what Jesus offers. Why don't we have a look at one of his accounts together? Um, or, actually, you know what, the Bible talks about these sorts of life questions. Should we get a coffee later this week and, and chat about it? So you're asking questions to get to that point of being able to set forth the truth plainly as we started with in 2 Corinthians. That's the prayer that conversations lead to conversations that lead to the opportunities to hold out the word of life to people that people might see and believe. Okay, so that's really all we're looking at this afternoon is just how to ask good questions. Um, and I'd love us to go away from here in a moment thinking, actually, evangelism in the 21st century isn't, isn't as scary as I first thought because I can get on the front foot and I can just in everyday conversation ask people questions to try and get under the skin and see why they think what they think. I hope that this thinking like this or, or going away and having, having a kind of um, frame of mind to this is our evangelism is that we're always engaged so that uh, actually suddenly with this in mind every conversation becomes an opportunity um, to, to move somebody a bit further on in God's kindness. So uh, you know my, my neighbour Tim on one side of me he's German he watched the World Cup you know, this is all I know about him he watched the World Cup last summer that's about it in terms of what I know about him. So my, my kind of questions, as I try and chat to him in the fleeting opportunities that I get outside the door um, uh, in the morning, is just to ask questions to try and get to know him a bit better. Um, my neighbour on the other side, Lizzie, who's a bit, you know, we've had the kind of conversations about the carol service, we're a bit further down the track, I can ask her a bit more probing questions to, to try and get a bit more under the surface and to then I'm, you know, I'd love for her to come and read the Bible with us at some point over this next year. Um, and then another guy called Nick, who you know, I met a, a year ago, and you know, this is a lot further back, and, and we had, we've gone through all that process, and now we're reading the Bible together. Um, so it's just lots of different people at different places, and you're thinking all the time, in all your conversations with, with unbelievers, in whatever conversation it is, so as you're waiting for the bus, like you can think, okay, I've got an opportunity here to just put a stone on this shoe. Um, and that's huge because suddenly evangelism isn't this scary thing that we kind of uh, just kind of go and do, you know, when we're kind of really feeling like, right, I'm going to go and do some evangelism today at work. Actually, we can do it, we can do it all the time because in all of our conversations, we're just thinking, okay, what question can I ask that's just going to get that person thinking, that's going to um, take them on a bit further in their, uh, in their journey in understanding who Jesus is um, and something of the gospel, particularly in a, in a culture and age where um, people are anti-authority and anti-kind of... Um, you know, any sort of thing like that, actually, to if we're coming across like that, then people are going to be less likely to listen. So a willingness to show vulnerability uh, is going to help us in our questions. Um, we are rapidly running out of time. Before we call time, let me just um, uh, tell you about some great resources you might want to get your hands on. So I've mentioned a few books over the course of this afternoon. Another one you might want to read is this. It's just come out by Dan Strange. It's called Plugged In. I think you can get it on the bookstool. Yeah. We can get it on the bookstool. Um, go and buy all the copies and read it and give it away. That... Don't tell Kevin DeYoung, that will be the best thing you read um, if you buy that on the bookstore this weekend. It's brilliant. Uh, it's, it's how to engage with popular culture as a Christian and how that can lead into great gospel conversations. Um, it is brilliant. Uh, well worth getting your hands on that. Um, you can also take away with you on the door today, there'll be a copy of this. It's called A Better Hero. Um, some of you will have come across this already. We released this last year at Dundonald's. Uh, this is four very, very, very short studies in Mark's Gospel. 
Um, all it is is a, a little passage mark and then three simple questions uh, on that passage. And, and it's designed to be a conversation starter about Jesus with someone who's interested. This is really the kind of next step on from what we've been looking at today. So if today is the kind of the, the getting the conversation going, this is where certainly at Dundonald we want to get people to, to sit down and say, okay, let me um, just look at these three short questions with you in Mark's Gospel. This is a primer to a conversation about Jesus. Take a coffee away with you. They're on the door. Um, and you can go online. You can order some for your church if you want to with your church's branding. The, the che- dirt cheap to print, 30p, I think. Um, you can get those. Finally, let me mention to you um, a website we've launched recently called somethingbetter.org.uk. Uh, this hosts the digital version of Better Hero. And it also has kind of short three or four minute training films and resources on there um, for evangelism. That might be a helpful resource as you continue to think about reaching the lost in London. Uh, just some things there um, that, that might be helpful for us as we go away and think about this stuff. Let me pray as we land. We've chatted about lots this afternoon. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we pray, please, might you use us as workers in your harvest fields. And we, we feel acutely our own insufficiencies and weaknesses. And we know that people are blind to the truth of the gospel. But we thank you, as we saw right at the beginning, that you can open blind eyes. And so we pray, please, that you might help each one of us here and all of us here at Revive this weekend to boldly go and tell, to set forth the truth plainly. And in a secular age that that seems so far back, please help us to be intentional about engaging people in conversation, to ask probing questions. And indeed, Father, our prayer is this afternoon that as a result of our time together, there might be hundreds of people across our city in the coming weeks who are hobbling around with stones in their shoes and that that drives them to discover Jesus in whom there is life. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. But one more thing before we go. Early bird tickets for Revive 2020 are available now. Our thanks to Tom and for you for listening. See you next week.